it's Anita Wingley. While we're working away at season two of Heavenly Minded, Earthly Good, we wanted to share some of the amazing content that's in our season one interviews, but didn't make it into the final cuts. The next few episodes will be the full conversations with some of our special guests. Some of these interviews were done by both Dr. James Tyler Robertson and I, and other interviews were conducted by just me. We hope that you find these interviews helpful. First up is Dr. Helen No, a professor of counseling psychology at Tyndale University that you heard from in several episodes. When we first did the interview, we actually planned on making the episode about mental health. And so we asked her a lot about how does the field of psychology and mental health connect with theology? And what's the difference between something like a pastor and a mental health professional? Here's the full interview with Dr. Helen No. What is your training? Supersede mine, not in a sort of inferiority way, but obviously like you know this stuff better. Mm -hmm. How is your training different and superior? Yeah. Well, I mean, it is important to note that you know, the the church was the context for healing for throughout history. You know, I think we forget that sometimes, especially in the recent, you know, shifts that have been taking place, but the church, and I, I believe it's still a very important context. And so, but yet we do see that, you know, there were some shifts that happened. I think it was around the 1920s or so where, you know, there, you know, pastors were trained to really sort of understand personhood, some of the problems and issues through a spiritual lens, and then to be able to journey with people towards healing and restoration through, you know, word of God, prayer, spiritual disciplines. I think around the 1920s or so, it kind of started to shift a little bit where, you know, there was this growing sort of recognition, especially sort of in parallel to the field of psychology kind of birthing of just these kinds of mental health issues. And as a result, you know, we started to see this shift away from, you know, recognizing that maybe there are some deeper issues that maybe pastors don't feel as equipped to be able to, you know, deal with. And as a result of it, we start to see that mental health professional and the field of mental health actually started to to develop and grow. And one of the main distinctions is really to be able to sort of understand and see personhood through psychological lenses as well as to be able to utilize um, therapeutic models of healing. And so as a result of this shift, I think what happened was is that, you know, the whole process of healing and restoration kind of got compartmentalized, you know, to the professionals. And I think it's very important that there is that extra training and um, sort of, you know, understanding from psychological lenses, but never want to forget that it was actually the church that was the context. And so how do we reintegrate this will be important, but we do see some important distinctions. And most notably, I think that mental health professionals do go through much more rigorous training around the theories of psychology to understand personhood, to understand brokenness and, and issues from a psychological paradigm, and to use some of those psychological paradigms to also sort of engage in treatment and healing. So good. <clears throat> I mean, it's so interesting too with like, it's one of the great juxtapositions between Canadian Christianity and American Christianity is, you're right, like 1920s and then especially in the 1930s, mm-hmm. Great Depression hands, mm-hmm. is you have uh, Protestant clergy, much mm-hmm. more than Catholic, right. being the ones that are advocating mm-hmm. the government. It's like, we need, mm-hmm. we need, men- like, I don't think they would call it mental health. Right, like, not know, at like that time. Social work, mm-hmm. social services that are yeah. beyond us. And it's our 
role in the kingdom of God. Right. We're still ours is piety and conversion, mm -hmm. but there has to be mm -hmm. like um, I think it was uh, uh, Booth, uh, the Salvation. Like, there's no point in telling people about Jesus when alcoholism mm -hmm. is like when when dad's drinking right. the food away and stuff like that. So right. we need to sort of treat these sort of and recognizing these things are obstructions. Yeah, that's really cool. It's going to go into the good story for the whole story. We've got I have episodes. a question mm -hmm. follow up from what you just said. Can you give me an example of what you mean by, like, you described the models and personhood? Um, I feel like you're, well, you're like you're alluding to psychology concepts. Mm -hmm. For someone who isn't familiar with that, can you explain, mm -hmm. can you give an example of what that is and how that might differ from a pastor's training? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... It's a model that I tend to utilize just even in my classes. But, you know, when we talk about personhood from more of a psychological paradigm, we recognize that, you know, the person is sort of, you know, what makes up a person is things like their cognitive layers, right? Their emotional layers, their behavioral layers, and their relational layers. That's kind of how we see sort of, and this is the model of sort of even personality when we talk about personhood. And so yet we recognize as Christians that at the core is our spiritual layers. And even the field of psychology is actually now moving towards a greater recognition that there is a spiritual layer of the human person. And so when we talk about more of a psychological paradigm, though, we do focus a lot more on the cognitive, emotional, behavioral and relational, and those are the kind of layers that psychology touches upon, both in terms of how do those layers develop, what happens when there is brokenness in those layers that can lead to some certain types of psychopathologies, and then the different kinds of treatment models that actually touch into each of those different layers as well. And so that's sort of the framework of psychology, but where, you know, I really you know, believe is the integration, sort of the integrative perspective, which also recognizes that the core is our spiritual layer. And so how does that sort of play into all of this, both in formation, how we understand pathology, and also how we understand healing as well? So our, already you can see the the focus of the church, like you're not going to be able to get to this sort of stuff on Sunday morning, and probably not Monday to Saturday, depending on unless you have like a big church or somebody that's really dedicated to this. But as we all know, sometimes pastors are frontline workers mm -hmm. when people are going through crisis. Absolutely. So, is, can you set up like this is what a church should do when dealing with somebody with mental health issues, and mm -hmm. this is what a church should not mm -hmm. do when dealing with somebody with mental health issues? Yeah. And any examples you want to offer are great too, or if you just want to stick with the theory. Yeah, no, not at all. I think this is where it gets really important is just sort of the practicals, right? And so, I guess just beginning with, you know, I don't think any church intentionally tries to do these things that harm people who may be struggling with mental health. I think just a lot of it is lack of understanding, you know, lack of awareness, um, sometimes even feeling uncomfortable because they don't know how to. And so I never want to take it that churches are, you know, most churches are not intentionally trying to hurt. But what we definitely see, you know, we would love to shift, especially in the churches. I think number one is just the stigma around mental health. I think there's oftentimes this sort of like, um, well, Christians shouldn't suffer, right? Do we not have enough faith to, to pray away depression? Do we not have enough faith to pray away anxiety or even trauma? And, um, and I think as a result of that, sometimes it does contribute to a stigma around mental health, that somehow uh, those who struggle with mental health may have lower faith or may even be a sin. And I think that really does um, hinder those who really do need to seek help from actually getting help. I think another kind of thing that churches want to just be careful about as they're learning more about this is sometimes over-spiritualizing 
mental health issues. Um, absolutely, uh, there are. There's always a spiritual component to it. There, you know, we're whole beings, including our spiritual beings, and so spiritual elements will be at times a very big part of mental health issues, or can play a smaller role. But I think sometimes what happens is, is that we can over spiritualize mental health issues and and kind of just think that if the person just has enough faith or just prays hard enough, then their depression or anxiety or some of these issues may be gone. And I think, you know, that also can do damage in terms of those who feel like they did pray really hard and they're still struggling with depression. So does that mean then I'm not a good enough Christian? Or maybe then it really gets them to question about who God is. Maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe God doesn't know me. And we know that that is not the truth. And I think another thing is, and I see this more than anything, is just, I think, um, just the silence. I think sometimes because we're uncomfortable or we're not sure what to say, then a lot of times churches remain silent about mental health issues. And I think that um, sometimes that can give the message that, you know, maybe those who are struggling are not welcome here, or maybe there isn't a place for them. And so I think these are just some of the things that we've seen um, that I don't think churches are doing it intentionally, but I think sometimes it can contribute to some of the barriers uh, for those who are really struggling. And so that kind of then leads me to what can the churches do? Well, you know, I think there's, you kind of alluded to it, Jamie, which is that, you know, most Christians will actually seek out their pastor (laughs) first. Uh, even before a psychotherapist. And so, you know, I think this positions the church very well in terms of actually reintegrating this sort of the context of healing back into the church up to a certain point, for sure. I mean, we always need the place for professionals, but I don't think it has to be so compartmentalized because I think the reality is people will seek out the church, will seek out their pastors as kind of like the first person that they will go to. And so, you know, I really do appreciate what some of the larger churches are actually doing out there uh, when it comes to mental health and how to really incorporate that into the church context. But, you know, I think one of the first things we want to really, you know, kind of think about what we can do is, first of all, you know, start off with creating a team. You know, the pastor themselves may not always be equipped to sort of know how to do it, but I'm sure they will have people in the congregation who are equipped. So start by building a small team those who have a burden and a heart to want to be able to somehow reintegrate sort of mental health back into the church, right? So create a team, you know, start small, start small. Don't try to do these like huge conferences. You know, people are still, many people are still quite, you know, wary of it. They don't want to admit it. They don't want to deal with it. And so start small. You know, I say simple things like this, you know, like bring up mental health in a message, (laughs) You know, bring up, a, you know, bring up, uh, you know, during prayer times, have a time devoted to praying for those who may be struggling with mental health issues, of course, if they share with it, you know, just starting really small. And so that that already gives the message that this church is open, open to inviting, open to, to discussing, open to see how we can integrate mental health back into the church. You know, start off small, each individual just, you know, have lunch with somebody who's struggling with mental illness and recognize it's not a stigma, you know, and it's not as scary as a lot of times we think. And, and just kind of getting to know 
people who may be struggling. And I think that will give us greater understanding sort of of what we can do about it, right? We can move a little bit more if churches are ready, but, you know, even small groups, churches that may be small group focused, you know, allowing for even things like small group leaders to have training on some of these mental health issues and, you know, to be able to maybe see it, to get a little, not to become counselors, but to at least be aware and to be able to learn some basic skills of how to be able to connect and communicate, you know, um, preach sermons on mental health topics. So not just mentioning it, but even preaching sermons in it. Um, and then churches that maybe are a little bit more equipped, you know, starting to partner with community organizations, um, being able to maybe hold conferences or events on mental I find that that's one of the, the best ways to not make it so personal, but it's like we have a conference here. And as people who are interested can come, then they can either identify maybe this is something I might need a little bit, or maybe even churches to be able to say, oh, you know what, maybe we can um, do a little bit more with this. And so I just say to churches, you know, start small, start where you're at. But I think the bottom line is just really being able to build a spirit of openness, welcoming, and sort of this, we want a journey together. And it can be done in very practical, you know, concrete ways as well. <clears throat> so good. Yeah, so those good. are so great. I have, um... I'm very excited because actually this Sunday, I'm, it's at mm. Advent 3, right? And so uh, I've been walking my congregation through the saints. Mm-hmm. It's from St. John of the Cross. Yes. And so it's all about the dark night of the soul. Right. And I'm just like, oh, we're going to dig into That's the people right. in the congregation. We have that family bunch of yeah. stuff. So it's like, yeah, we're going to, the whole thing's going to be like the, this darkness and the burn. Absolutely. The the presence of God. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. You know, just, you can cut this out, but just even um, a couple weeks ago, my husband did a, you know, we're doing an Elijah series and he was preaching on just th- this spiritual depression for two, su- two, sesh- two Sundays. The response, and he didn't go into clinical depression. It wasn't even at that level, but just about really understanding sort of that even these great men of the Bible can go through these times of depression and, you know, isolation and, and what sort of, and, you know, so many people really resonated with that. And then the second part was, so how do we journey through it? Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, you know, I, I realize that people really want to hear. It's one thing when, you know, it's just about come for psychotherapy, but you know, they're not ready yet. But you know, when they hear these messages and they go, you know what, number one, wow, like I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. There are even Mm -hmm. men of the Bible, people of the Bible that have gone through this. Number two, oh, okay. So this is what I'm going through. So it kind of even gives them a little bit of, oh, this is why I'm feeling. And then to give the message of hope of, well, here are some things, right? And so even as a community. And so I'm finding that people are very, very hungry for it. Um, and it doesn't have to go into the clinical level, but just even touching the, the surfaces of anxiety, fear, trauma, depression. You know, so many of our congregation members are really wrestling with those. And so, what, well, how much of our North American theology mm-hmm. is, you know, we talk about the prosperity gospel. Right. It's like, okay, that could just be a bunch of silly pandering. I understand. Absolutely. It's, but there's a dark, and some people are like, you know, prosperity. I'm like, no, there's a dark underbelly mm-hmm. to this because it, it, that's exactly it. Mm-hmm. And my family went through it. So mm-hmm. it was like my, my parents lost everything. Mm-hmm. And the pastor said, he's like, well, you might have some unconfessed sin in your life. That's, and that's right. My dad was like, and we're done. That's right. Um, Absolutely. And, but on the other side, too, it, even if you're not into that sort of an extreme, mm-hmm. there's so many messages yes. about the power of prayer, yep. rightfully so, mm-hmm. but then how they define that power of prayer. Right. Like, are you going to get what you want? Right. And I mean, yeah, when you pray, 
earnestly and probably mm-hmm. more passionately and prayed about anything. Mm-hmm. Like, like, please give me another depression. Mm-hmm. I'll do whatever. Mm-hmm. And you hear the stories too of all the people mm-hmm. who did pray that prayer and yeah. then God answered mm-hmm. and then they did what there's, so it's mm-hmm. all those things. It's almost like a Disney ending. Yeah. But I, was like, but I know for every one person, that's right. Nine. Absolutely. They're like, ah, yeah. great. why not right. me? And how does that not, how, like, literally, I'm like, I don't understand the logical step that doesn't, the next step is obviously going to be like, I'm not as good as. Right. And you get exactly. all the words, whatever. Yes. That's, that's so, yeah. so powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know you have a question, but can you just, I was, I'm so fascinated by that, you know, the final layer sort of being that spiritual layer. Mm-hmm. And because like the pneuma and the sarks and the mm-hmm. spirit of the flesh are mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. again, like you said, mm-hmm. compartmentalized in our sure. culture. Just, and you don't have to go into this long, like, right. how do you understand that? So, like, what is the spiritual component mm-hmm. of the human person? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think really, at, again, there's so many different perspectives here. So I'm not in any way, you know, claiming to say this is the perspective. But this is sort of, it has to be contextualized in my sort of paradigm of personhood that also integrates the psychological. So, you know, absolutely, I think the spiritual, there's so much more to it. But really at the core that we're all born with is just this unwavering truth that, you know, we are created in the image of God. You know, and that is the essence of our personhood. And, you know, in that original design of our being created in the image of God, all the other layers were originally created, right, in a state of perfection. So our cognitive, our emotional, our our behavioral and relational. And yet, as a result of the fall, right, we see brokenness, not just at our spiritual core with our disconnection with God and also our disconnection with one another, but we see how the fall really did impact, you know, broken thoughts, broken emotions, broken behaviors and addictions, broken relationships all over the place. And so, you know, to be able to sort of see even some of the psychopathologies that we see, mental health issues is once again, you know, when we really trace back to it is really, you know, rooted in the fact that we live in a fallen state and we will, you know, be broken and we will be broken by others. And yet, you know, when we talk about redemption, right, it's not just at the spiritual core, restoring our relationship with God, but there is hope that we become also restored in our emotions and in our cognitions and our behaviors and relationals. And so it kind of sees it, you know, the spiritual is kind of what um, ties all the different layers together, both in understanding what and how gets, it gets broken, but also how we also can journey through healing. But again, not everyone, even as Christians, will experience the fullness of it on this side of heaven, right? We, d- we do know that um, we still live in that tension in between. And yet the very reality of even in the fall, you know, there may be brokenness, but the image of God is still there. And so, you know, that that never gets taken away. It just may get tainted. It may get broken. But that is what redemption does, right? It restores, it redeems even the image of God within us. And so, you know, that's a very important sort of framework that that I'll use and also teach very much, even as counselors, right? We will see a lot of the evidences of the brokenness coming out. And some of it is very ugly, right, when we see abuse and when we see trauma. But to never forget that whether they know it or not, they too have been creating the image of God. There's still that image of God in them. So they're still worthy of being treated with dignity and respect. And yet, how can we hold those two in tension, I think, is always important. And so. I didn't, you didn't hear my... Oh. 
at the end of that, did you? Oh, thank God. I was like, oh, I don't want to make her repeat that. So good. Yeah. And this is what we ask you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't want to blow past. Did you have like a follow up sort of thing on either before I go to the next? Yeah, to, um, so let's say somebody. Asking, is... for, asking for a friend. <laughs> Is sitting in that place mm-hmm. where, um, you know, where they have felt the guilt mm-hmm. of, you know, I've prayed yeah, and, um, you know, and I've confessed mm-hmm. and I'm still in this. Yeah. What, you know, and also even with COVID now, right? Yeah. Like it's, we're going into two years, mm-hmm. even if it sucked at the beginning and you found a good patch. Right. We're still, you know, you're, yeah. we're still kind of, a lot of people are still walking through that darkness mm-hmm. and, um, so what could you, what, what could you say to someone in that place mm-hmm. who's listening? <clears throat> yeah. So somebody who's still, who feels like they've prayed, they've done yeah. all this stuff, but they're still wrestling. Yeah. You know, I absolutely affirm that, you know, it, the passage that always comes to me is, you know, Jesus swept, mm-hmm. you know, when he, you know, when he was coming and and just even standing before Lazarus, right? He he knew he was going to raise Lazarus, but yet he wept. And so, you know, it reminds us that Jesus weeps with us. You know, we live in a broken, we live in that tension where there's still brokenness and pain, right? We always hold on to the promise that there will be a time when all will be made new, that there will be final victory. But unfortunately, we do live in that in-between time. And in that in-between time, there's still going to be pain. There's still going to be suffering. There's still going to be where we pray and pray and pray, and we will not be healed. We will not be released. But the promise that God gives to us is that he'll walk with us. He will weep with us. You know, those who are still struggling with that depression, God is weeping with you. God is with you. He is journeying with you. So even though we may not experience that healing on this side, the truth is is that God is still walking with us. And it's not contingent on how hard we prayed. You know, we'll never understand why some people do get healed fully and why some others don't. Um, But what we do know for sure is, is that God is with us. And I think that, you know, at times it's like, more than the actual outcome, sometimes I think regardless that that is what people ultimately really, you know, and I think that's why sometimes God, you know, when we're journeying through it, you know, I say to them, it's not about, I know that we want to pray for the, the outcome to be full healing, but, you know, more than that, how much are we really coming to know deeper who God is in the goodness of God and the presence of God and the fact that he is journeying and weeping with us but he will give us what we need to get through this. That's so beautiful. You've already, you, I think you've already answered this, so I just want to make sure, is there anything else like on the idea of a spiritual element to mental mm-hmm. health issues? Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to say on that mm-hmm. topic? Because you, you have gone mm-hmm. around that, right? Like so many mm-hmm. times and nailed it. Excuse me. <laughs> but is there any other sort of element specifically you want to say about the spirituality of mental health issues? Uh, I don't even know if I want to ask that, because I think we've mm-hmm. kind of done it. And I love, you set up this great, mental picture in my head of mm. almost like this when we talk the spiritual level almost like the soul this mm-hmm. this like you know all the stereotypical cheesy ways mm-hmm. we do it and then like almost captured in this dirty bent broken mm-hmm. cage that is humanity and right. i mean even that's that old sort of unnecessary dichotomy mm-hmm. i'd say unbiblical dichotomy mm-hmm. too and i like the idea that you're talking like this is all in relation with each Absolutely. other compartmentalize it we get a bad idea of Absolutely. what's going on so of course there's a spiritual element that, that's right that's right you, and you mm-hmm. said 
just I want to follow up. You said that the larger sort of psychological world is starting to embrace that as well. Mm-hmm. How are they defining mm-hmm. like the spirit? Like mm-hmm. we can look at a mag day mm-hmm. and talk about a soul, but how right. are they sort of being like, you know what, there's a component of this and this is what it looks like. Yeah. Um, they're still getting there. Uh, but the very fact that The American Psychological Association now has a chapter um, that addresses sort of research and writings and recognition of the spiritual is a very big step. Um, And so, you know, again, they haven't defined like spirituality as like Christian spirituality in any way, but just more of the metaphysical, something that, you know, the whole field of psychology is very much around empiricism. We've got to be able to see it, to be able to study it and then prove it and then write about it. And so the very fact that they are recognizing that there is something that we can't fully see, uh, but we, you know, enough people have alluded to the fact that there is that quest for spirituality, that that some higher being does play a role in their lives. And so, you know, the field of psychology is still very, very far behind in this, but the very fact that they are recognizing it. And so they haven't defined it. They haven't defined it as this is, but they've just come to recognize that there is. <laughs> but what exactly it is, we're still kind of, you know, working on trying to define that. So I, I love all that. I'm just going to kind of take us down this part too. Are they, is, this is going to be a two-parter. So the first one is, are they recognizing that, you know, when, let's just take spirituality, but they are also recognizing that like religion, spiritual mm-hmm. structures play some inherent psychological benefit and, you know, obviously mm-hmm. they're not going to be invested in mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because Jesus is the truth. Or right, right, right. None of that. Yeah. Are they seeing like, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's people's religious pursuits mm-hmm. that are helping? And, yes. and then I'll, I'll do my second part after that. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're also seeing, you know, there's been many sort of um, <laughs> empirical research done to sort of show that those who do have some sort of faith-based or religious sort of um, strength within them, that even, you know, it is correlated. We don't like to, we never use the word cause, but it absolutely is correlated with increased um, sort of either positive outcomes with just even the ways that they will journey through some of their mental health issues and stuff like that. And so they are finding uh, when we are doing some sort of you know, empirical research that that there does seem to be a correlation that those who do have some sort of religious um, either foundation or presence in their life, that it is also uh, playing out in better outcomes in some of the things that they're journeying through. I mean, they've seen that a lot in medical research, but they're also starting to see that a little bit more in mental health research as well. So we had a, we had a previous guest on this week, and she's um, she's come out of charismatic Christianity. Mm-hmm. Uh, her church is very much involved in the Toronto Blessing in the mm-hmm. '90s, um, and and she's a wonderful, lovely human being who. Um, has made these decisions for herself. Doesn't you know? She went to counseling to get through what she would she refers to as psycho religious psychological trauma. Okay. Around a whole variety of issues, but she's at a place where she's very gracious, loves the church, has good good friends who are still still Christians. Doesn't doesn't look down on them. Thinks charismatic Christianity is being unfairly characterized as okay. you know, for rubes and whatnot. And I think she would apply that. I don't want to speak for her, but I think she'd apply that to the whole church. But she brought up. Uh, I mean, one of the things that she, and she quoted something, so you feel free to correct it, but she, she brought up, like, where else in life, and she's talking about specifically, like, Pentecostal charismatic, it's like, where else in life do you, you know, go to a place that tells you to dream big, hope big, recognize that your your dreams are actually in relation to everybody else, that your life can be bigger than you ever imagined, that you could focus on prayer, meditation, in some capacity, breathing in that, 
like that gets you up and dancing around that helps you sing songs that you know and mm. inspire you she's like the which you know that releases serotonin that gives you cardio as you're mm. like so <laughs> so she's like for her she's like i really see the church obviously has some incredible psychological benefits she's mm. like i just don't I just think the God part of it. She's mm-hmm. like, I like that sort of community thing. Is that getting sort of close? Like, do you think there's some inherent wisdom in if we just take the truth claims mm. of Christianity, the actual experience of church mm. can bring us to a place of better mental health? So, I mean, I guess the weird question is like, is church a really good place for non-believers to go mm. just to get some exercise or just to <laughs> sing some songs? Or is that just totally insane? Well, I guess it really depends on what church you go to, right? I, I know many churches that uh, you wouldn't see the benefit as being exercised because sometimes I wish that they would <laughs> move a little as they're singing these songs about Jesus and dancing and, and everyone's just absolutely still. So I guess it will depend on which church you kind of, or sort of what denominational kind of church you go to. Um, but I can hear what she says. You know, I think there's, you know, um, yeah, there's a lot of, and, and which is why I think people originally might even get attracted to the church, even before coming to know the truth, you know, I've met with many people who it wasn't the truth of the gospel that brought them to church, but it was the many other things that brought them to the church first, right? And so charismatic church, as you talked about your the, the guest, absolutely, through dancing and releasing a lot of dopamine and, you know, a lot of good chemicals in our brain can absolutely help. But, you know, I think that if you look a little bit more at the church in general, uh, you know, the power of community, like the power of connection, the power of being able to be in relationship with others. I think, you know, and I think that is probably, if regardless of denomination, is probably one of the, and studies will show that social connection is one of the greatest, greatest um, resources that can help um, minimize some of the mental health issues. It's really the isolation. It's really the feeling of alone that really does magnify some of these mental health issues in and of itself, but to be plugged into a community. But I think even more so is is that then take it to the next step that once you get plugged into a community and you start like serving, you start being used, you know, whether or not it's for the right motivation at first, you know, for the glory of God, it might just simply be because there's an interest that you have and you start serving. I mean, we all know that when we're doing something good, that also is something that can really help us to start feeling better about ourselves. It's oftentimes when we feel purposeless, when we feel like life has no meaning of what I'm doing feels like it's just not making any kind of impact, that can also magnify some of those mental health issues. And so, you know, I think the church of community, finding something meaningful, you know, that in itself can can already get people sort of even moving towards health, as well as even protecting against some of those vulnerabilities around mental health. So So good. Fun. Um, Okay, so then, I think this is, um, have you noticed, and and so we've we've kind of, we've been talking about this a lot, have you noticed that like mental health issues have become trendy? Mm -hmm. And have you noticed like some people throwing around a lot of mental health words like mm-hmm. self-identifying or sort of trendy mm-hmm. so yeah we'll just start, start with that have you found mm-hmm. mental health trending mm-hmm. in cultural popularity and we'll, we'll say like the past five ten years or maybe since covid yeah i hesitate 
associating mental health with trendiness. I think it minimizes the um, the seriousness of it, right? I don't think mental health is a fad. I don't think it's something we should sort of all sort of jump on the bandwagon and then when it's done, we should jump off. Um, I think it's very real. Um, if you've journeyed with even one person who's gone through a mental health issue, I think the last word that comes to my mind is trendy. And so do I see, though, in the last decade or so, a greater growing recognition of mental health issues? Absolutely. Are there certain types of issues that are getting more sort of um, sort of um, recognition that it is very real, that we're seeing more of it? And so therefore, it's leading to greater funding, research, government support? Absolutely. And so I think some that we're seeing are definitely things like PTSD, right? The trauma-based, especially around even um, how it's affecting like veterans. I mean, that's a big one. And so we're seeing a lot more awareness that it's very real. We're seeing a lot more um, casualties as a result of the lack of uh, resources. And so I'm also seeing a lot more funding that is going into there. Another one I think that's just becoming a lot more uh, to the forefront, especially through COVID, is just children and adolescents. So the mental health issues that are affecting children and adolescents, I mean, we're seeing some of these issues um, showing up way too early in our children. Um, you know, some of the clinics in the hospitals for things like anxiety disorders in children are they have a one-year wait list. You know, it's, it's really starting to become quite prevalent. And so as a result of it, um, we're definitely seeing more of an awareness and therefore now more of sort of funding that's being put towards. I mean, the one before that I think was autism, but autism has now kind of um, really established itself. I think there's a lot of good research and a lot of good funding that's going into that. But um, yeah, more recently, I think anxiety disorders. Um, and I think social media plays a huge role, especially when we are working with things like people like adolescents. We're seeing a lot more of the certain types of addictions, you know, social media addictions, the video gaming addictions. We're seeing a lot more depression, anxiety. Uh, there's a lot of factors to it, but I think sort of um, intersecting with sort of the growth of social media, we're seeing a lot more. And so there is a greater recognition of some of these very real disorders that weren't as recognized maybe 10 years ago. And as a result of it, I wouldn't say the word trendy, but absolutely a lot more um, sort of emphasis as well as resources that are coming up because of those. The You mentioned the question about what Christians should strive for. In, I'm, Balanced. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Well, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. <laughs> what should Christians strive for a balanced life? What does a balanced life look like? Yeah. It actually just relates to the last one. Like mm -hmm. When it comes to mental health, right. what should Christians be striving yeah, for? Yeah, that's good. You know, that's should, good. We be, right. should we be looking for ecstasy or should we be looking <laughs> like the drugs? just to... MDMA? <laughs> or should we just be looking, you know, just to make it through? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's Hold on, a great way to... Hold on, again before you answer. Sure. <laughs> Follow. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Proceed. Yeah. Again, this is really just um, my own reflections. And so, you know, there will be many other people who have different perspectives on this. But I've always shied away from trying to live a balanced life. <laughs> I think balance, it's kind of like, well, 
first of all, is that even possible? Um, as well, what does that really look like? Am I really giving 50-50? And so, again, I think this idea of balanced uh, is a lot more confusing for me. So the, the sort of the, the framework I tend to use is more centered. Am I being centered, right? So is my life centered in God and the, the appropriate seasons that I'm in? And so, you know, I think every sort of life has different seasons and it's each season has its priorities. And so, you know, in that season, am I being centered first and foremost? You know, am I being centered in, I know that this is the season that God has called me. Am I being centered in my relationship with God? And then how that looks like is oftentimes very unbalanced for me. Like, I mean, you know, in my semester of teaching, I mean, way too many hours are put into my teaching, um, whereas another season, it's it's much more in other areas. So again, but the, the key, I think, for me is just more of, you know, am I living out the priorities of each season by being centered in God and in sort of the the critical things of that season. And so that's sort of how I've kind of looked at it. May may not resonate with everybody um, out there. But and then, you know, in terms of how does that connect then sort of with mental health and mental well-being for Christians. I mean, I think it's very important for us as Christians to recognize that we are more than our spiritual beings. So, so sort of tying back to sort of what we started from, I think a lot of times we do focus a lot on the spiritual health, but we sometimes can negate a lot of the other areas of our health. Like, am I, first of all, you know, we're physical beings. So am I taking care of myself physically? You know, am I sleeping okay? Am I eating okay? Are there any imbalances in my body that I do need to get checked out and maybe, you know, to make sure that those are in balance. And so, you know, to also take care of some things, even like our, our physical, you know, we're also very, very um, cognitive beings. What's your thought life like these days? You know, am I thinking thoughts that are contributing to my well-being or not well-being? And so again, just being able to really take time to take stock of, you know, what is my thought life? Like, you know, how am I doing emotionally, you know, how, you know, to recognize sort of those areas as well. And also how am I doing relationally? And so to be able to look at the holistic uh, sort of person of who I am and not just always just focusing on sort of just the spiritual because they all are connected to one another. And so if there are other parts of me that need to be maybe taken care of to make sure, you know, to definitely work through that. But, you know, I think another really important thing for Christians um, sort of when it comes to their personal well-being is taking time to gain deeper understanding of myself, right? And to kind of, kind of get to know myself in terms of, you know, what is it that triggers me? What are some things that make me feel overwhelmed? When I am overwhelmed, what do I need, right? What are my strengths, but also what are my limits? And am I okay to live within my limits? So, you know, I think another thing is just really coming to gain deeper understanding of myself, as well as, you know, definitely learning to continually build a strong sense of community with others, 
I think once again, we've talked about that, but, you know, very important part of maintaining our well-being is just continually being in connection. And we're not talking always about church community, but do I have a community? Do I have, do I have a community around me that keeps me accountable, that I can share, that I can journey with, um, that I can cry with and I can laugh with. And so, you know, being able to stay connected with others as well. And if I do feel like I am struggling, gain knowledge and gain understanding of those issues. And, you know, again, I think sometimes we're afraid of it or we, but, you know, just gaining understanding of it can also help you to be able to also know what can I actually do about it. And then if I really am feeling like I'm struggling, not to be afraid to reach out for support and to reach out for help to, um, you know, seek out counseling if needed to be. And then, of course, always kind of, you know, maintaining our spiritual well-being as well. So, yeah, I, I think more than anything, it's just remembering that we are holistic beings. And so, you know, mental wellness or, you know, mental health well-being also involves all the layers of who we are. Heavenly Minded Earthly Good is a production of Tyndale University. Visit our website, tyndale.ca, for more information. 